It's Wednesday, February 26th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. You saw the news alerts. The CDC is warning Americans that when it comes to the spread of coronavirus, quote, this could be bad. We'll explain what exactly that means and what the U.S. government is actually doing in response. Then candidates at last night's Democratic primary debate had answers for just about everything. But there was one foreign policy topic where the answer isn't so simple. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by H&R Block Tax Pro Go, expert tax prep without the office visit. We cannot hermetically seal off the United States to a virus, and we need to be realistic about that. That's Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. He was on Capitol Hill yesterday talking about the spread of coronavirus. We'll have more cases in the United States, and we've been very transparent about that, and we will then work to mitigate the impact of those. Side note, health officials say the disease the virus causes is technically called COVID-19, and they want us to start calling it that, so we will. In any case, Azar's testimony came on the same day that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned Americans to start preparing for more COVID-19 cases across the U.S., possibly in a matter of days. Yes, we've already seen a few cases in the U.S., but now the CDC's warning it's going to spread. And they aren't mincing words. In the words of one CDC official, quote, this could be bad. So what does this could be bad look like? On a personal level, this means you can probably expect some major disruptions to your everyday life. People might stop coming to work or sending their kids to school or daycare to prevent them from catching the disease. And health officials say as more people are diagnosed, hospitals could get more crowded. That's not the only problem hospitals could be running into. They're also quickly running out of medical masks, which are supposed to be thrown out by doctors after every use. A lot of pharmacies are already sold out, and the ones that are available are getting really expensive. But health experts say as much as the news is scary, it's important not to panic. According to one medical study from China, more than 80% of COVID-19 infections so far have been mild. And when it comes to keeping yourself safe, familiar rules apply. Things like washing your hands or keeping some distance between yourself and someone who's coughing. If you have prescription medications, it might be a good idea to get those refilled a bit earlier than you might otherwise. And it never hurts to have a good supply of basic food staples. So that's how health officials and experts are saying we should prepare. But what's the government doing to prepare? The White House is asking Congress for at least $2.5 billion to help the administration respond to the spread. That might seem like a lot of money, but lawmakers on both sides of the aisle actually questioned whether it was enough. So we're watching to see how that funding battle plays out. Meanwhile, there still aren't any medications that have been approved to treat COVID-19. And the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases says the race to develop a vaccine to protect against it continues. There are going to be a lot of shots on goal for a vaccine. Uh, Hopefully one or more of them will be successful. That same agency says this week it's begun work on an experimental drug to treat people already infected with COVID-19. So some progress. But health officials are saying it could be a year before the early results of that trial come in, meaning these things take time. So what's the skim? The CDC is warning that it's not a matter of if, but when we'll see cases of COVID-19 spread throughout the U.S. Those kinds of warnings can sound really scary. 
But the good news is, in the U.S., the CDC is providing up-to-date info for people concerned about how to prepare and what to expect next. You can find more at cdc.gov. One last word. We have an important parting thought from one health expert who spoke to us recently. Amanda Glassman, the executive vice president at the Center for Global Development. Got a pen and paper? Just wash your hands. That's right. Just wash your hands is now our new mantra. And in the immediate future, put this in your Google Cal. Tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, President Trump is speaking about the administration's response to COVID-19. For a recap on what he shared, check out The Daily Skim tomorrow morning. Coming up, we're going to talk about the huge foreign policy story that kind of threw the Democratic candidates for a loop at last night's primary debate. That's next. Have you filed your taxes yet? If not, don't panic. H&R Block is here to help. H&R Block's Tax Pro Go is the easiest way to have an expert do your taxes for you. Upload your tax docs and H&R Block will match you with a tax pro who fits your needs. Then your tax pro does the hard work so you can get back to doing whatever you want. To learn more, go to hrblock.com skim. That's hrblock.com skimm. It's better with Block. At last night's Democratic primary debate, the candidates discussed most of the usuals, like health care and the economy. And then, briefly and near the end of the night, a topic came up that hasn't been getting much coverage lately. The city of Idlib in Syria is facing an unprecedented humanitarian crisis. The Syrian regime and Russia are targeting schools, bakeries, and hospitals. What would you do as president to push back regime and Russian forces and stop the killing of innocent civilians? That question sort of felt like it came out of nowhere, but it turns out the situation in Syria is actually hitting a turning point. And that's saying something, because time and time again, since the start of the Syrian war in 2011, the situation there has been called a crisis. Like when Syrian President Bashar al-Assad started killing Arab Spring protesters, or when millions of people started fleeing from their homes to get away from the fighting. But here's why things now are worse than ever. Syrian government troops have stepped up their military offensive, shelling residential areas as they advance. There is no ceasefire in sight. The fighting and war crimes on both sides have prompted mass movement of families trying to get out of the battlefield. And they're still moving, the bulk of them women and children. In a war defined by displacement, this is the largest movement of people of the entire war. That's kind of a rundown of what's been going on lately. But let's put it in a bit more context. Here are the stakes. The groups battling the Syrian government of President Bashar al-Assad have been mostly cornered around the province of Idlib. That's in northwestern Syria, right up against the Turkish border. In earlier phases of the Syrian war, people fleeing fighting could have crossed that border to find safety. But since 2016, the border's closed, and there's no place for people to go. 900,000 people have now fled Idlib. And that's just in the span of nearly three months. This displacement has happened so fast that as many as 80,000 people are reportedly living outside, lacking shelter and exposed to winter weather. When New York Times reporters visited the border earlier this month, they heard stories of babies freezing to death in the cold. A reporter from The Guardian heard about families suffocating in their sleep because of a lack of ventilation in makeshift tents. And one United Nations official shared other stories of hardship. In the freezing winter, many people have resorted to burning their spare clothes 
pieces of furniture or other materials that let out toxic fumes. Meanwhile, back in Idlib, the fighting continues. Just today, there were reports of 21 people killed after the Syrian military and its ally Russia targeted schools, nurseries, and a hospital in a series of airstrikes. And the longer that fighting continues, more people in Idlib could be forced to flee. Those are some really horrific details. And on such a large scale, it's hard to imagine how the world should respond. This week, leading humanitarian groups in the U.S. appealed to Americans to, at the very least, donate to help save the lives of children and families in Syria. But bigger picture, the United Nations says fighting needs to stop immediately. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has been repeatedly saying there is no military solution for the Syrian crisis. And yet, diplomatic solutions haven't seemed to work either. That's because Idlib, the Syrian city under attack now, was supposed to be a safe place for civilians to live. A couple of years ago, both sides of the Syrian war agreed, hey, let's stay out of the city and keep the fighting in the countryside. Because if we don't, a lot of people could die. Problem was, experts predicted that agreement wouldn't last, and they called Idlib a, quote, humanitarian time bomb. Now that Idlib is fully under attack, it's exactly that. Yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called for another ceasefire in Idlib. But nobody in this fight is showing any signs of putting down their guns. So back to the debate question put to South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg at last night's debate, which was what would he do as president to stop the bloodshed? Well, he criticized President Trump for spending too little attention on the Middle East and not working with international partners to bring peace to the region. But he didn't have any quick fixes, probably because there aren't any. And then he changed the topic. I want to come back to something, and I promise it relates to international affairs, because Senator Sanders asked me a question. He actually pivoted and started talking about health care and didn't get back to the whole Syria question. Senator Elizabeth Warren did. And she said the proper way to deal with the situation in Idlib was to provide humanitarian relief. After years of fighting in Syria and years of failed efforts to end that fighting, temporary relief for the people affected by the war might be the best anyone can do. Earlier in the show, we mentioned that aid groups are asking for the American public for help. To learn more about it, we've left a link to their fundraising effort in our show notes. Before we go today, we want to tell you about something we learned from the latest episode of our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. Our guest this week knows a thing or two about making tough decisions at work. A few years ago, Gretchen Carlson was fired from her job as a Fox News anchor. Shortly after, she sued her former boss, the then chairman of Fox News, for sexual harassment. Gretchen Carlson ultimately settled with Fox, but in doing so, signed a non-disclosure agreement with the company, meaning she can't share the details of her experience. You might remember on this show last week, we asked Gretchen Carlson about her efforts to fight the use of mandatory NDAs through her new organization, Lift Our Voices and about the fact that Democratic candidate Michael Bloomberg's company had a number of NDAs with women who once worked there. While she can't share a ton about her own experience, Gretchen did share with us her set of recommendations for what to do if you're dealing with harassment at work. 
The first thing is you have to get outside legal advice as soon as you can because you have to know, do I have an arbitration clause or do I have a chance to do this in an open jury? The National Women's Law Center will take a lot of those calls gratis and not charge you to, to do that. You can also go to betterbrave.org and they will help align you with a lawyer. The second thing is document, document, document. Even though we've gotten better in believing women, you know, there's that thing he said, she said, and you got to have evidence. And then I would just add that the third most important thing is to tell somebody else. You need to have witnesses. That episode of Skim from the Couch is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 